0: I've never had the thought of, oh, what are other people gonna think of this? Obviously, I want to be acknowledged for my effort and the value of whatever I'm doing and creating, but I'm never doing it in like the, I'm making this because I think this person would like it. All of my hobbies, activities, or just like phases have come in and out because I thought they were cool. I wanna learn how to do them. Let's see if anyone else thinks that way. Awesome, Joe, so welcome to the
1: Creator's Canvas. Thank you for hopping on. Thank you so much for having me, really appreciate it. Yes, so you are the first guest that I've interviewed in the uh, comedy space. It is cool because someone I went to school with is also in the comedy content creation space as well. Perhaps you know him, Ahmed al Kadri. So kind of cool to get to chat with you. Where I'd love to kind of start this conversation, Joe, is uh, from what I understand, you started content creation probably early 2021 you know, what was that catalyst like and where was your headspace at during that time?
0: Yeah, so it truly was born from COVID boredom. I It was December, 2020 where I started up Fenty Fried Chicken as an anonymous meme page where I just wanted to make jokes every day. And I thought the meme format would be fun. So I was like sourcing my own images or taking formats that I knew and like changing them to what I needed them to be. Mm -hmm. And then come March, I was just kind of getting kind of tired of one, no one knowing that I was making up and inventing these jokes Two, Mm. trying to fit my jokes into a quick, here's one sentence, here's one image. Mm -hmm. And from all that came my first series of TikToks where it was making fun of that corporate corporate America environment. Mm -hmm. And the one I did about the intern who clearly had a connection to get the internship, that one just took off. And I thought from there, if I keep the content like cheeky and clean, I can just do it without having to worry about what my boss would think because they're, mm-hmm. they're fun. So <laughs> starting March 21 is when I made the pivot from just being memes to being my actual face. I mm. kept the name Fenty fried chicken cause I liked it. And now here we are two plus years later now doing like six videos a week plus doing live standup comedy. And it's, I do it because it's fun. Oh, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay. My computer's acting weird. I lost image, but we'll keep
1: going. Okay, awesome. I still uh, see you, so I think that's a good sign. All right. So, you know... A lot of content creators, especially who have started on TikTok or Instagram, you know, made their accounts, you know, through COVID boredom. At that time, when you started making this type of content, was comedy always something that you were interested in? And also, was there something kind of deep down that you kind of felt like you were yearning for and but
0: never gave yourself the time, you know, because of work and things in life kind of pre-pandemic? Great question. I have been interested and fascinated by comedy my whole life. When I first discovered stand-up in elementary school, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. They had the Comedy Central Presents 30-Minute Specials series on Netflix, and they had like 200 comedians at that point, and I probably watched 100-plus of them. (laughs) And for our third-grade and fourth-grade talent shows, I would just memorize Brian Regan's stand-up bits and go do them in front of my classmates. (laughs) <laughs> he was a very clean PG comedian, so I could say all of his stuff on stage and it felt so much fun to just get laughter from mm-hmm. my friends and classmates. So <laughs> that it had always been an interest of mine. And then in college I wrote satire for our satire newspaper, which mm. scratched the, you know the comedy bone and then eventually come graduation and the pandemic coming together. I thought, all right. I see other people doing this like corporate natalie work retire die making that sort of mm. corporate humor i thought i think i could take a shot at this so here we are and it's now it has evolved from just being TikTok and just being instagram to now live stage stand up yes. again which is really it's such a treat to be able to have both working for me in terms of comedy yeah that's incredible and you know when i think about
1: the work that you do it can be very vulnerable because you know you're putting yourself out there and you're giving people the chance to receive you and you know whether they receive you well or not is you know to be determined you know on them uh, which i'm sure you know you definitely understand so has that concept of putting yourself out there always been something that has come easy to you or is that something
0: you've kind of had to work your way towards for full comfort? i think I've never had the thought of, oh, what are other people going to think of this? Obviously, Mm. I want to be acknowledged for my effort and the value of whatever I'm doing and creating. But Mm. I'm never doing it in like the I'm making this because I think this person would like it. All of Mm. my hobbies, activities or just like phases have come in and out because I thought they were cool. I want to learn how to do them. Let's see if anyone else thinks that way. Like one of my phases was making mashup songs. I did that (laughs) for about six months, produced two albums. And once I was done, I was done. So I've never had to think, will people receive this well? It's usually, I'm going to make it because I like it. Hopefully Mm. I'll see people along the way that feel the same way. That's a beautiful attitude to
1: have, Joe. You know, I think in the content creation space, or even before people are thinking about jumping into the content creation space, you know, that is a fear that a lot of people have. And, you know, kind of what you described is such a healthy way, you know, to approach it. Have you always have been that way? And what do you feel like confidence and that responsibility you felt to bring what you feel inside and out into the world comes from?
0: Wow, that is so good. I think it's just a matter of I can't quit something until I try it in its mm. fullest because it will just nag at me and... I'll obsess over it and think of it. So to get it out of my own head, I need to put the effort in and to try it. Mm. And if it's one of those ones that sticks, it's great. That's what comedy has been for me. It's always been that nagging. Hey, you want to get back on stage. You want to make people laugh. You want to do all of this. And that has been consistent across my whole life. Mm. And then looking at some of the things that I've done and given up in the past, it makes sense that they were just phases because I got to try it. I experienced it, said it wasn't for me and then can continue. So whether it's to calm my inner dialogue, inner monologue of saying, hey, you should keep working at this versus making something for someone else, Mm -hmm. who's to say, but all I know is I'm going to try stuff because I think it's cool and I want to get it out of my head. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And it's so interesting you say that because at least for me, you know, right now, I feel like I have so much clarity, you know, towards the direction I want to go and that I'm going on. And but I know it always hasn't been like this. And I people ask me this question of how did I figure out what I want to do. And I resonate a lot with what you said, because I literally just threw so much shit at the wall, and whatever stuck stuck. And that's something that I think sometimes people can misinterpret and thinking like, okay, like we always knew this, you know. But it was really an iterative process to get here. And so, what have you all thrown at the wall? And would love to hear. I know mashup albums
0: was one of them. <laughs> mashup albums. Uh, let's see here. What else? Break dancing in, my, in middle school and high school. That was one of them. I still can do a head spin at weddings, but it doesn't come out often. <laughs> what else? There was like a brief card magic phase because I watched Shin Lim on America's Got Talent, and I thought that's the coolest thing ever. So I did that for a few months. That's amazing. Let's see here. <laughs> have you ever seen Britain's Got Talent with the regurgitator? I've seen Britain's Got Talent. Don't haven't seen the regurgitator act though. Do you recommend it? <laughs> it's it's truly mind-boggling. I don't think it's a trick. I truly think he takes whatever like one of his is a billiard ball sends it down sends it back up and middle school middle school joe thought i could do that so (laughs) i would swallow like gummy bears and keep them in my throat and then send them back up oh my gosh Uh, gummy bears are a good warm-up to billiard balls uh, one day yeah i didn't (laughs) i didn't get that far but (laughs) truly anything that i think was cool i had to give it a shot but the comedy one been sticking around and generally i've loved to write so like short stories poems Mm. screenplays but it's kind of fed into the i guess sketch writing place yeah and
1: i feel like there is a a decent intersection between you know writing and comedy especially when it comes to you doing the prep work for the stand-up work that you do so i think that's awesome Um, there's a massive overlap yeah (laughs) so you know, it's interesting. I was watching a Hasan Minhaj interview. And you know, one of the things that he was talking about was his process for warming up before he gets on stage for something he's about to do. And he really talks about this concept of getting out of your head and into your own body. And so I'm curious, Joe, for you, when you do stand up, does your warm up routine look like? And what do you think about this concept of
0: getting out of your own head? You know, does that resonate? It absolutely does. The first time I ever did it for like a ticketed audience, I couldn't eat or drink for five hours beforehand, mm. just stomach felt like it was all twisted and knotted. I couldn't stop just shaking. And I really couldn't get out of my own head. Yeah. And then the second I got on stage, tunnel vision, just nothing. There, there was nothing stopping me at that point. I got the first laugh. And it was incredible. I remembered all my jokes. It flowed well. Like I watched the tape, I did a good job. And from there, that time of nervousness and show stomach, I've been calling it, Mm. has decreased. So now it's like the act before me is going on. I'll say, oh, all right, it's time to get a little nervous. But my routine really is, I write down the titles of the jokes I want to do. Think, all right, how does A flow into B? How does B flow into C? Mm. And how do I want to wrap it all up? And that's that's kind of my pregame prep. It's just typing in my notes app. All right, we're doing this one, this one, this one. How does it all flow? Yeah, that works. And That's kind
1: of it. That's awesome. And Hassan kind of talks about some other things that he does. You know, on top of kind of what you described. And I'm happy to you know send that clip over. You know, after our chat, yeah, and I think that might be interesting. It's pretty cool you say that. So actually, I recently just took a beginner improv class. Uh, kind of nice. Yeah, c- kind of as like, you know, self development, I'm actually quite introverted. I think at this point, I've done a lot of inner work to, you know, work on kind of the things that I've fall short on as an introvert, but in- improv was kind of the next level. And for our class showcase, so the crowd was packed. And then so I remember being backstage, it was like 10 out of 10 nerves. It was like so nervous. And then to your points, you know, the moment I got on stage, like all of those nerves kind of washed away. Uh, why do you feel like that happens? You're like, you know, how do you kind of reconcile those two different sensations?
0: I think it's because you're scared or not you as in you particularly, but just as the experience. I think yeah. we are all scared of messing up and bombing or losing our place. Mm-hmm. And so much of it is if you can make the audience think that it's planned or that it's good, then it doesn't have to meet your standard. I've come off of shows where I've forgotten to do three jokes but it still flowed because mm. I knew what the next thing I wanted to say was. Some of my friends saw one of my shows and I we were talking afterwards and I just looked up and said, Did I do the joke about like Harry Potter? And they go, No. I'm like, oh. I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't notice. Only I noticed that I messed up. Mm. But even messing up, it wasn't it was relative because yes. it worked. So I think we're very scared of that failure. And having other people see us do it live. Mm-hmm. But once you get there, you, you can't stop it at that point, there's nothing to worry about, because you're in it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the fact that the audience didn't notice means that it was
1: a success in Excel, you know, because you're able to have a successful show, even though you forgot to say a couple of things. Why do you like making people laugh? Like, I, find, I think it's so interesting
0: you know people are just you're making people happy even if it's for that brief moment of a joke it's like i like to make myself laugh i like to go to comedy shows as a participant Mm -hmm. they just they pick you up they make you feel good even if it's for that five minute set or an hour or a few days afterwards where you're just telling your friends oh i heard this great thing about this can i tell it to you so it just adds levity it adds a little bit of fun to the day so I like to give that back out. Mm. And then from an ego selfish side of it mm-hmm. to make people say you were funny or that was good. It, that just makes you feel good. So yeah. it's nice to have the thing that I always think about and what I obsess over get validated from someone else. Mm. First of all, I want to say I appreciate your self-awareness to be able to think about, you know, the two different
1: sides of why you enjoy it so much, because I think to your point, I think we all kind of have that multifaceted you know kind of reasoning for the things that we do and the things that we enjoy. So to what you're saying in the beginning of the fact that it can be, you know, kind of a pick me up for a person. And that's kind of, you know, what I think about comedy. It's like not everything in life, you know, has to be so serious all the time. And it doesn't need to be, you know, all these news headlines that we know we constantly consume. So have you had any personal anecdotes or stories about people communicating to you about the impact that the type of content that you make has had on them?
0: Never more than I think it's funny or I send it to my coworkers just because I'm, I am sh- I don't think my stuff should have a very heavy impact on someone. Mm. It should make you smile. It should make you think of your friend. And it should get you a laugh. But I don't think it should change anyone's life. So mm. I've never had like a, whoa, I can't believe my content did that for you. Or I can't believe that joke made you feel that way. But I do get the occasional very nice DM or even in-person recognition where they say, hey, I think you're hilarious. I send your stuff to my X or Y all the time. Mm. Actually, the most wild one that I had that really made me feel like this was something special was that a a soon-to-be-married couple, one of the partners reached out to me and said, hey, my fiancé and all of her bridesmaids are coming into town. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to surprise her. Just, we send your stuff back and forth all the time. She's a huge fan. And I thought she would have, like, a tepid response to me. (laughs) Like, oh, cool, you're here. Upon my getting to their table, she shrieked. Like, (laughs) oh, my God, fenty fried chicken. Yelled. People turned around, and she was visibly flustered. I couldn't believe it. I I was more shocked than she was. I couldn't believe my presence caused that response. So... Like, I hung out with her and her friends for like 45 minutes, an hour, or whatever. Yeah. Before they went to their next bar in the bar crawl, we FaceTimed the fiance and he was giving me the thumbs up, like, nice, we did it, good job. <laughs> and then afterwards, I just was texting both of them and they said, hey, if you are ever in Chicago and want to go catch a Cubs game, let us know. And it was cool that I got to make a very odd friendship out of it. Yeah. And that, like, once I met them, they were like, "Oh yeah, you're just like a guy, and you care about your your stuff, and yes. it's cool that you want to give it back in this way." So that was probably the most wild interaction I've had. But no one's ever been like, "You've changed my life, Joe." Yeah, and
1: you know, first off, you just want to say, you know, that's an incredible story. I think I wouldn't underestimate, you know, the impact that your presence had, especially you know when meeting that couple in person, especially because I think for people who kind of consume our content, there can kind of be this distance that they put between, you know, us and them. And to your point that, you know, we are just as normal as they are, you know, you and I both have day jobs, you know, and we, yeah. you know, we, we, we work nine to fives, you know, just like everyone else. And I think getting the opportunity for them to kind of see you're just as cool and normal as them is really good. And that's kind of why one of the big reasons that this podcast was born is, you know, to kind of, you know, show that and, you know, kind of close that gap.
0: So thank you for sharing that story. So Joe, what does your creative process look like? You can't see it, but I have a giant whiteboard in my room, Mm -hmm. where I segmented it by workshop, Mm -hmm. ideas and to do's, okay, where workshop are very rough concepts of jokes, or ideas where I'm like, okay, I know there's a bit there, I need to sit on it, Mm. ideas are ones that are like one jump away Mm -hmm. where I either need to find the format or find how I want to tell it. And then to do is like, it's ready to go like one on there. I do a series called honest college slogans. Mm. And I also have, where is my little notebook? I have a notebook next to me at all times that has like quick jokes that I think of during work. So like honest college slogans 12, I have my list of colleges Four of them are ready to go. So once I just get into my my studio is where my Mac Miller poster is. <laughs> once I turn on the camera, it's ready to go. So that's one of my processes. I also just make sure I'm writing down jokes in my phone, on my notepad, on my whiteboard. It's even in my computer and my Excel sheet where I keep track of all the stuff. Yeah. So That's one of my processes. And then another, if I'm doing like a character based sketch, Mm -hmm. like every busy boss or coworker who went too hard on the Thursday happy hour, I kind of just riff as that character for four minutes Mm. where I think like, all right, what would they say? What would be fun? Because sometimes if you just sit and think, it doesn't generate the idea you want. But if you actually verbalize what you think that character would say, what they would do, then you kind of get a nugget of, like, mm. oh, okay, that is something they would do. Like, I filmed one called Every Busy Boss, and it's him talking to his team about how he, like, didn't read their emails. He picks up a call in the middle. Yeah. He asks them to, like, reschedule the meeting, even though they've pushed it four times. And while I was doing it, I just... I looked up and I said, Randy, how the hell are you? And I'm like, there it is. Like, that's, that's what he says when he picks up the phone. So... If it's character-based, it's good to just get out of your head and just talk it out loud, mm. and write down the stuff you think works, and go from there. But really, it's paying attention to what happens around you, writing it down, thinking about it for a little bit, and if you need to play a little bit of pretend, play a little bit of pretend. This concept of you know playing
1: pretend and you know talking it out, it reminds me of this concept I learned of why a lot of programmers and software engineers have a rubber duck on their table, have you heard of this? No. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So when um, programmers and software engineers are, you know, like writing lines of code, and there's something wrong with the code, they find that thinking about it in their head, it's really challenging to find, you know, where the problem is. So then they talk to the rubber duck as if it was, you know, a person to kind of explain to the duck what the code does and what each line is supposed to do, and you know, through talking to the duck they're more easily able to find, you know, where things are wrong with what they've written. And so uh, it's kind of really interesting, because that's what sort of reminded me of when you talk about when you talk about like, you know, playing the character out in person is better than just playing it out in your head. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's crazy that they do that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's cool to see how each industry or profession has uh, worked a solution out in their own way,
0: you know. Yeah. And even if you're in a writer's room for like SNL or just some sketch troupe, Mm -hmm. you're talking with other people. And that's where the process and the refinement is happening. Mm. Like when we wrote satire, our editor in chief would just write one word on the board. Mm -hmm. We'd all walk in, like for our Halloween edition, he just wrote down pumpkins. And he said, "All right, what do we got? And we just started yelling at each other on top of each other trying to get jokes in. And from there, that's where we got some ideas of like one article that I wrote was apathetic junior goes as basketball player for third year in a row Mm. where the joke is he's just wearing a Jersey and pretending it's a costume. Yeah. (laughs) And that all came from pumpkin. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean,
1: that literally reminds me of, you know, kind of my uh, improv experience. (laughs) So I can relate with that a ton. So you described your creative process from a very tangible and, and, logistics perspective, you know, what does your creative process look like when it comes to creative block and you kind of need some inspiration or when you need to get out of your own head because, you know, you're stuck on something like a skit that you can't figure out. What does that look like for you?
0: Yeah, it's you got to give yourself some me time. So whether it's going on a run or lifting weights or just playing a video game, you need to do something else that you can focus on. Mm -hmm. And it gets you thinking about one other stuff. But as you return back to the thing you were stuck on, You have a little bit of distance from it. And that's usually where something can unlock. Mm. So I'm also a diamonds under pressure kind of guy. So there's been times where like a brand has said, Hey, we like we'll give you a month to think of this bit go. And for 28 days, I'm like, what (laughs) am I gonna do? I have nothing. And then in the shower that morning, like, oh, there it is. And I film it that day, send it over and pretend that I've had it cooking for weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I definitely know that feel. So this topic of working with brands and, you know, all of the interesting things that come with content creating and experiences that we don't get to get, you know, kind of in our our corporate jobs. So what has been kind of a milestone that has really stood out to you about, you know, kind of your journey in content creation so far?
0: Yeah, I think getting recognized for beyond just having a one-off that works like a mm-hmm. few brands have reached out to me to say hey do you want to work for us part-time and make our stuff that's cool to just mm-hmm. see that other people see the value in what i'm doing and that they think i could apply my style to them mm-hmm. it's a really mm-hmm. great compliment from them and i that's what i really appreciate is that they can make me feel good without really saying anything. Just the offer of like, Hey, we want you, Mm. we want you on board in some way. How can you do it? So that's, that's been a very cool experience from this. And anytime another creator in the same space reaches out to me, Mm. that's incredible. Like a corporate bro just sent me a DM out of nowhere saying like, Hey man, really appreciate what you're doing. Keep it up. So simple of a compliment. And I was elated like, <laughs> really him? no way. <laughs> so it's cool to get recognition from people that you try to emulate or just enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. so stuff like that is just it it's another feeling that adds to just people saying you're funny, but then to other people you respect and you think are funny saying it back at you it, it's great. yeah, and
1: it's interesting because I think you know what you're touching on is it can be very validating for you know these brands and other content creators to reach out to us or compliment us in that way because in a way they're then kind of confirming the person that we are on screen, you know, it's like, hey, like, we actually like that person. And I think the beautiful thing about the content that you make Joe is, you know, from what I can tell, you know, who you are in your content is, you know, like who you are in real life. And I think the couple that you met
0: was able to see see that as well. Bits and bits and pieces of my content is me like, I never say like, Oh, this is Joe Fenty in this situation, like I'll play with the name a little bit or add a little sarcastic flair to it. Mm -hmm. But like, for the most part, It's like 80% there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that
1: comes across screen very well. So has there been a specific pinch me moment of
0: a brand project that you've worked on that like, you know, you really got a lot out of and filled your cup? Yeah, the Red Sox reached out to me just to say, hey, do you want to film stuff in Fenway Park? Oh, my God. Like, excuse me? And they're like, yeah, the... We invited some creators we think are funny and are good. I mean, the ballpark is shut down, so you'll have the whole place. Oh, my God. Do gosh. you want to come? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I do. You kidding me? So, like, getting recognized from like real Boston brands, as mm. obviously I've, I've grown up around here. So, oh, wow, that's like, special. Idolizing the Celtics and the Red Sox and the Bruins and Patriots, all that. And to have them contact me, like, hey, we like you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have posters of you in my room.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, literally it's since a, I was, since you were a kid. Yeah, it's a surreal feeling to have that recognition. So anytime like a big Boston identity contacts me mm. and that I get to work with them, it's it's incredible.
1: Yeah, and I think well, the one thing that's incredible, Joe, is you know you're doing all of this while still working full time, and a lot of people that I talk to feel like they don't have the time to become content creators because they are working full time, what advice would you have for them?
0: Yeah, so I think when you pick up another thing, you mm-hmm. start to time manage without really noticing it. Mm. Like if you wrap up work around 6 p.m. and you got a dinner that night at like 8, and you want to work out for an hour, you have that hour strip, and you know that it it's finite. Like if you want to make it happen, you have to do it in that moment. Oh, And that's when I notice I'm cooking. It's like, all right, I got to get out the door to get to a show. I'm, my last meeting's done at 6. I got to fit it in then, and that's when I'm just – pumping content and you find areas like when I'm commuting and I'm on the bus or I'm on the tee. that's when I'll edit and that's when I'll start to plan out my week. Mm. So you find ways to maximize your time, even though you feel like you have none of it. So that's advice one is once you try it, you'll realize how you can distill your time down and make it work. Number two is that you already make time for yourself in a lot of different ways. Like if you're training for a marathon, that takes hours every week mm. to do that. If you like reading books or just, you know, like watching your TV shows, that also takes time. That's also yes something that you can give and take and change up a little bit. So it might seem like we have a, a limited window to do things, but once you make it important to you, you'll find when you can put it in and I feel like that's kind of what has what content has done for me it's like all right if I'm producing six a week when am I going to film time so we'll get off this call I have two hours before I want to like wind down and go to bed Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go start filming yeah and I love this concept that you talked about of you know giving yourself a finite
1: window because if I peel back that a little bit, it's, you know, having your back up against the wall. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, that's when, you know, we can make the most out of this short amount of time that we have. And also, you know, to your point, diamonds under pressure, that's when we perform the best. Yeah. And so I think that's great advice. And it definitely resonates with me a lot as well, because I'm having to do, you know, the similar things. So that's really cool. So... We kind of talked a little bit about, you know, your journey in comedy, but how has, you know, your journey with everything you've been doing affect your journey of personal development kind of uh, more holistically and as a whole?
0: I think overall, it's just made me pay attention to what people want to get out of their day. Like, oh, yeah it's very easy to go to work and just view that person in the context of they're a coworker. They're, Mm -hmm. you know, working on this slide deck that I'm also working on. And once we go our separate ways, we're going to do our own thing. Mm -hmm. It's important to know that they also have a thing on the side or just in a different facet of their life that they care about as much as I care about my comedy. Mm -hmm. And it's good to look for that Hmm. where that's where you can sort of break that wall of like coworker friends to actual friends as you find that area. Indeed. And I'm, I'm starting to get more keen to that of figuring out what gets people excited, what gets them going and to actually ask and remember those details. Cause it's really easy mm. to have the laissez faire conversations of how was your weekend? <laughs> you know, it's important to ask those, but you're not going to make a best friend from that. Mm-hmm. So figuring out if, they have like trips coming up or they're doing something with their who knows whatever group they volunteer with or something. I don't know. I can't pick other people's hobbies and activities, but if you can start to pay attention, that's where you can find the, the more fun part of the day. So yeah. I think that's something I've taken from my comedy is look for comedy is to me, what X is to this mm-hmm. person. What is that X? Can I tell you something? I'm interesting. I observed Joe,
1: you know, so one of the things that we're talking about is, you know, kind of how you've grown personally and you kind of like as personal development and growing in that, just as you're growing in comedy. And your answer was along the lines of how you've developed to be better in service to other people so that you remember the little things about them. You're able to create stronger
0: connections with them. I find that really interesting. What do you think? It, it makes sense. I want, I remember one time, when I was little, my aunt called me an introvert and I thought that was an insult. (laughs) So I've always wanted to like maximize friendship, make sure Mm. that, you know, there's many people in my life as Mm -hmm. I can, because it's just more fun that way. So I know how good it makes me feel when people ask, Hey, how'd that show go? Like, what jokes are you working on? That that makes me feel validated, seen, heard and appreciated. Mm -hmm. So to find the flip side of it for someone else. I, I want people to feel as good as sometimes they make me feel. Mm. So it's, there's no better way to give it back than to notice what you appreciate and send it forward. So I don't know, it, it's really easy to do life solo, but it's way more fun to do it with other people. I completely agree. And you know, first of all, Joe, you are speaking my language. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I
1: appreciate you saying that. There's a quote I like, you can go, faster alone but you further together and yeah i really do believe that so how do you manage all of those relationships because the common wisdom is the older you get the harder it is to maintain as many friendships and relationships that you had when you were younger where does that land with you
0: yeah i mean that's true if like with high school and college you're in class day over day with the same sort of friends you have. And it once you enter the working world and postgraduate just life gets really mm-hmm. busy. I remember sitting down to dinner with one of my friends and we hadn't seen each other in seven months. But I she she brought up, she's like, hey, you know, we haven't like, how's your life been? I'm like, oh I'm an uncle now. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, it's been that long. <laughs> so even though we haven't seen each other in seven months, I still know that she's a deeply valued friend to me. Mm-hmm. And it's important that when you get that time to actually sit down, that you make it known how much they matter to you and how much you appreciate them. Mm-hmm. So even though frequency might diminish, you it's like whether you... I don't know how to say this well, but if you get there, make sure that you're making the most of it. Mm-hmm. Because even though you might not see someone every single day, they can still mean a lot to you. And it's important to just say that and the occasional text that's like, Hey, how you doing? Mm. Or FaceTiming them every now and then that can make a huge difference. So while there are friends that just come and go in passing, it's important to identify the ones that you really value and appreciate and making a little effort here and there just to say, Hey, I I want you to stick around every now and then.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And the two things that come up for me, is the first being sometimes those relationships that we really value are the type that don't need a lot of kindling. You know, the fire still burns just as strong, whether it's been seven months or a year. And second is, I think as we get older, we're better able to recognize which relationships we do want to add kindling to and maintain and which ones we don't. And that can always provide us a, a lot of clarity. So I definitely agree with that. So Joe has there been a time in your journey where you were thinking about calling it quits and you know or had like a really low low and you know what did that look like if that was the case
0: any time i bomb on stage i think is this worth it <laughs> <laughs> anytime so that happens on a weekly basis mm. but yeah just uh, that's the nature of stand up yep. is to you get knocked down more than you want to mm. so it's important to remember the the good shows and to say like, that's what I'm chasing. And uh, so yeah, there are times where a show goes really poorly and you're like, wow, I, I wish I didn't go, mm-hmm. but the only times to get the good ones are to keep going. So mm. I lightly think about quitting every day. <laughs> <laughs> I do this cause it's fun and cause I like it mm-hmm. and it's not a financial obligation of mine. I have my full time job and it's, you know covering bills and everything but this comedy stuff on the side sure it's making a little money here and there but i'm not doing it for that end i'm doing it for the fulfillment of making jokes finding other people who like making jokes and making myself and other people laugh in the process so i even though sometimes they're Like, brands will be difficult. And they're like, hey, uh, can you get this to me by Friday? And then two weeks later, they go, oh, sorry, we just reviewed it. Can you post it now? (laughs) You know, I have a schedule, too. Like, I I tried to get you this on time. I've been waiting. You kind of ghosted me a little. (laughs) But I still have to do it with a smile on my face because you're writing a paycheck. (laughs) Cool. So there's times where it gets really annoying and obnoxious and can be a little overwhelming, but I'm still doing it because I like it. And that's what I have to remember is that if I stopped, I'd feel like something was missing. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think there's beauty
1: in the realization that nothing worth having, you know, doesn't come from, you know, these highs and lows that you basically just described and to your point of a good show feeling that much better after having experienced those lows, I think, you know, that contrast is important. What do you feel like you've learned from failure and especially failure at such a high clip? Because you know, your point was, you know, any bombed show you know, is a failure. And if, if that's happening on such a frequent basis, I think it stands out quite a bit.
0: What was the question? I was too busy on you, basically saying I bought all the time. (laughs)
1: Uh, What have you learned from failure, Joe, and uh, especially not just failure, but failure at a high
0: clip? It's that it doesn't last. In that you know, no, no one remembers the last time you failed unless it's the last time you tried. So, if you keep getting back out there, you might make a hit again. So, it's really easy to be like, wow, that was a bad set, but I'm not going to let that be my last one. And then you do it again and you do it again and you get better because there's been times where I've gone to open mics and I've seen some performers real and like myself included. Every Mm -hmm. time I go to open mics, I try some new stuff. So I'm bombing just as much, but there's times where I see someone working through that same joke. Like it's just not working like what's going on. And then I see him at a show and like, there it is. That's the Phoenix from the ashes. (laughs) Dope. Love that. So I don't remember how bad the bombings were. I remember how mm. good the final product was. So it's important to remember what you're working for. And if you stop, that's all to remember. But if you keep going, you might make it. Joe, have you always been so perseverant? No. <laughs> no. Mm. There's definitely been times. Like I remember when I was a kid, Like if I wasn't good at something immediately, I didn't want to pursue it anymore. Mm-hmm. But comedy is one of those very subjective things. So what's good to me might be bad to you and vice versa. Okay. Like I do a series called new Mitch Hedberg jokes on my TikTok and Instagram. It might be the most polarizing thing I've ever made. There are people saying like, this is such a good homage to him. Like you've really captured his essence and you have really hit the cadence. And then the other Man. people going, don't compare your jokes to Mitch's. I'm like, Come on, and what? Like you write them then. So I get knocked down a good amount of times, but I have to remember there are other people on the other side saying, No, that was funny. I enjoyed it. So it's real like when it's not a foot race and there's clearly a fastest, you can you can enjoy it in a different way. So what seems like a failure to one might be a success to another. And your bar of success can be different in comedy and really in anything where if you're if you're a painter and you just want to make one painting a month, you achieve your goal if you did that. But other painters want to sell their stuff in a gallery for X many dollars and that's their goal or there's other people who want to be in more showcases and more physical places. That's their goal. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think...
1: We all have different goal posts that we are aiming for, and sometimes we can struggle because then we can start kicking towards a goal post that isn't even ours, and we didn't even set. And it's like, how did that get? How did that get there? Like, oh yeah, shit, social media put that there. So one of the things you mentioned was that, you know, when you were younger, you wanted to quit immediately when you weren't good at something. And, you know, now you're at this healthy perspective of failure. So how did you get from there to there? You know, because I feel like that is such a, a beautiful journey.
0: Yeah, I think it's because I realized that I was judging myself based on other mm. perceptions. Like I thought I was bad at, I w- I am bad and was bad <laughs> at baseball, but I was bad at it because mm-hmm. I couldn't throw strikes and I couldn't catch pop flies, so everyone knew I was bad, and I mm-hmm. also knew I was bad. But when I got to comedy, I was like, "This is something I know. I'm ah. at. This is something I, yeah, that I think I'm good at. That I can do well." And I look back two years ago at some of my first videos I made. They were <sighs> they're awful. Like the editing is poor. The lighting is weird. It's mm-hmm. not consistent. Now, looking at it two years later, I've gotten so much better. And yet, I'm still going to get so much better because the more times you do anything, you'll get better at it. You'll learn what works and what doesn't. So half the battle is convincing yourself that you're good at the thing or that there's room to grow and you can keep expanding. So now my perception isn't, I suck at this. I'm at a good spot for where I want to be and where I'm at right now. And I can get better. Like when I started playing baseball, was I need to be throwing whatever speed a seven-year-old was supposed to throw off the mound, and I was like 10 miles yeah. an hour short or whatever. But if I had just said I want to throw a strike, that could have been my goal. And then I would have been really good at that and work my way up. It's so beautiful because I think what you're touching on is for every person,
1: if we're able to find the intersection between, you know, kind of what we have in an innate talent for and what we're willing to work hard on it's like the sky really is the limit there's this beautiful jeff bezos story where i think he was talking about how he used to study like quantum physics or something like that and he was saying like he was working on this you know really hard problem set with his friend and they like spent hours and hours trying to figure it out and they were stumped so then they went to a classmate and the classmate literally just looked at the problem set was able to figure it out you know in his head and then jeff said you know that was the moment where he was like okay i know if i put in the work i'll be a good you know quantum physicist but i know i'll never be great because you know to be great i need to have what just happened with that guy in this problem set and uh, i think that is such a great story and i think about that a lot so you mentioned uh, fulfillment earlier joe so where do you find fulfillment in your life obviously with the work that you're doing in content creation uh, that fills your cup you know quite a bit any other areas
0: yeah i think it's just the the like the base stuff of making sure I get to see my family and see my friends mm. making sure that I'm doing the activities that I like like I like to work out I like to read you know it's important to I get fulfillment out of just the the basics in that way okay so beautiful it's, impor- it's important to make time for that and then you also get fulfillment from other sillier things like uh, just going to a fun concert or a fun show there There's fulfillment there too. While it's not the most articulate answer, it's sometimes the easy stuff gets me going. And I think it can be the simple things in life that we often take for
1: granted. And I think the ability to find fulfillment in those gives us a lot of longevity in what we're doing. Oh by the way just wanted to say that it's interesting how life comes full circle because with the baseball example that you gave and you know maybe in your head you know you thought that you know you were never going to make it to the Red Sox and their stadium well like in a way you know you made it there uh, but
0: in uh, <laughs> a different road and isn't it crazy how life works <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. I don't think I ever had MOB aspirations, but why
1: not? <laughs> you know, so being in the a comedy space, Joe, what is some advice that you wish you were given, you know, kind of when you were starting out? And obviously, I know, like, you're still kind of, you know, early on in your phase and you're starting stand up. Um, but anything? It's
0: such an easy bit of advice, but mm. it was one I thought I could ignore, which is you have to put in the time and the effort and do Mm. like, you got to do the open mics. You got to put yourself out there because anytime you put yourself in that game time situation, that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to get better. And also that's where you're just going to meet other people that do this stuff. Like anytime I go to an open mic, there's 15, 20 other comics all looking for their time Mm -hmm. And that's who you talk to afterwards. That's who you can get advice from. Mm. Or even if you're looking down at a different path, those are the people who book people for shows. Those are the people who open for other bigger acts. And that's where you can plug yourself in that way. Mm. Nothing can be done solo. Even something as standing on a stage by yourself. So Mm. get reps at doing the things you want to do, because that's how you show people you're good at this. Like, I'm, I'm booking a show for later in August, and I just posted to my Instagram, hey, any comics, like, send me a tape. Uh, would love to have you on. And two people reached out to me who ha- don't have tapes or don't have anything to show for it. Like, I was at one point in my life, but I can't book you if I don't know what you do. I'm not going to go on a leap of faith for someone I've never met. So you have to put in the effort, and you have to put the work in so just to clarify so you're hosting your own show or own event just a one-off yeah so my friend she's uh, raising money for team impact it connects children with disabilities with uh, collegiate and professional athletes to like mm-hmm. sense like, create a sense of community yeah fantastic charity and she's hosting a comedy night or is planning a comedy night. To raise money for it and she asked me hey can you coordinate the comedians can you actually host the night and just get it all squared away so while i am the one that's like booking the talent and actually hosting the night it's for her and because of her wait that's incredible and that's gonna be really special Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. (laughs) You know, this process
1: of finding comedians, do you interview them? Like, obviously, their uh, tape is an important part, kind of as you described, but you'll say you like someone's tape, you then, you know, hop on a call and, you know,
0: interview them? Like, is it like a job interview? Okay. No, no. (laughs) Because if I, the tape is what you need. Okay. If if they did well enough at that one show, or the jokes are good, and the the crowd was a little dead, I'm like, that's all I need to hear. Because... If you can do that again, perfect. That's what we care about. And a lot of the people who reached out, I've worked with already, or I was on a show Mm. with them already. So the tape was a bit of a formality. So I can show my friend, say, hey, I like this guy. I like this girl. I think they're great. What do you think? If it's not her cup of tea, then, you know, she gets final say, but I can at least put them forward saying, I've done a few shows with this person. They're fantastic here's here's what we got so yeah there's no formal interview process because it's a it's a free charity show or not they're free because yeah for the pro, charity pro bono so, yeah pro bono comedy <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it when i do free shows pro bono but yeah so i'm not i'm not gonna make it more official than it is it's like all right have mm-hmm. you done this before have you made people laugh can you do it again
1: I can't literally can't wait to hear how that show goes. Best of luck, and I'm glad that in the work that you're doing in comedy, it's like finding a direct way to you know benefit you know such an amazing organization. Yeah. So I think that's really special. So you know that was some advice you know you would give to people starting out, and but you know for yourself, Joe, what is some of the worst advice
0: that you've gotten? The worst advice I've gotten? Um, nothing's coming up right now. Nothing has stood out as why would they say that? So. <laughs> oh. I guess it's good that I don't have any bad examples of advice I got. There's definitely some where, I guess some people might. I don't know. I don't think I've ever had bad advice. I think something to look out for is people not having your what your interests are at heart. Mm. Where there are some calls I get from agencies saying like, "Oh, do you want representation? Do you want to grow your social media following?" Like, yeah, but that's not really my goal. My goal is to get more stage time and to do more stand-up comedy. So Mm. their advice to me would be, you got to do this to grow your page and you got to do this. And while they might be valid, it's not the advice I'm looking for. So it's important to filter out some of the bad, not bad, but the unwanted. Yeah, that perhaps doesn't have the context
1: of what you want out of what you're doing. Yeah, they see me in one light and I see myself in a different light. Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, with that, you know, Joe, I love, you know, kind of thinking about grand visions for, you know, the work that we're doing. And, you know, what is your grand vision for, you know, what this to look like?
0: Yeah. So obviously, social media is just a means to showcase my stuff to more people. So that's Mm -hmm. great. Like getting people to care about my comedy. That's what I view social media is doing for me. Mm -hmm. But the short term goals right now are to just headline a show get people to go there for me, Mm. to get to a spot where I could do 20 minutes, do 30 minutes of really good material, which all can be achievable in the short term. Long term is like, you look at some of the greats, like I would love to be John Mulaney, that'd be awesome. But John Mulaney didn't get there in a year, he got there Mm -hmm. in like 20. He graduated from college and just kept hitting mics and kept working on his craft and, and developed really funny sets. It's one comedian told me you'll write 15 minutes and really only have two like Mm. of what is the actual good going to get laughs every time stuff. So the only way to get 20 minutes to cut down into four is to keep writing and keep performing and find some stuff that works. Does it ever feel like a lot? Yeah, it feels like a lot all the time. (laughs) Like when you're going to an open mic at 7pm, that doesn't get out until like 1030 after all the people yep. have gone and you only got to perform for four minutes and it probably went pretty poorly. It's like, I could have done so much else. <laughs> so that's times where it can feel like a lot. But then there's the flip where you get to do two shows in one night to two good crowds and they're laughing. You're like, that felt like nothing what a treat. I completely agree. And I think
1: the moments that feel like a lot can either create diamonds out of us or break us. And I think it's a beautiful perspective to have. So Joe, with the podcast wrapping up, you know, there are a couple of things, you know, we'd like to ask our guests. First off, are there any projects or anything coming up that you'd like to talk about? Obviously, you have a team impact in August. Um, Is there anything else?
0: No, that's really the main one. Uh, Ticket Live, Ticket Link isn't live yet. But should be coming out pretty soon but i guess that's my big project going forward is trying to sell that bad boy out and raise as much money as we can that's incredible and 100 percent of ticket proceeds will
1: be going to team impact is that correct
0: i'm not fully sure what the breakdown is because that's okay. more on my friend's end of figuring all that out it not sure if it's like a free ticket plus like donation got rec- it rate, that type rec- of model yeah so i don't know what the model is but I know there'll probably be a Venmo link that you can donate to. So that should all be directly going to the charity. Beautiful. And, you know, the the question that we we love to end off on, Joe, is is there
1: anything that you wish people knew about you? Especially when asked this kind of in the context of how as content creators, there can be a distance between us and our audience, you know, and especially when it comes to our audience, you know, thinking that, you know, we sit on some type of pedestal, or we are some sort of different person who doesn't go through, you know, anxiety and low moments and heartbreak and, you know, all of these things that we as like humans all experience. And I think it can kind of be an opportunity to bridge that gap a little bit.
0: Yeah, I I definitely don't think I'm on any form of pedestal. I'm still surprised when people know my name from the internet. So by no means do I think I'm like doing more than what I should. But I think one thing I want people to know is that this stuff looks easy at times Mm. because you only see the finished product and it's only a 15 second or 30 second sketch, but there's a lot of work that goes in on the back end. And yes. I'm I, I'm writing jokes all the time. I'm working really hard at this. So I don't try to take this lightly in that I don't wanna rip off other people's jokes or I'm trying to be as creative as I can. And like those insults, the insults of like, you suck, you're not funny, I can brush those off. But the ones that say like, you're not creative, you're ripping off that person discount Mm. this person those are the ones where i'm like ow i'm (laughs) what i'm working hard at this like sure you can think i'm bad but don't think i'm not trying so i treat this like any other hobby or activity that someone else might be really passionate about so it's i i hope people treat each other more kindly than they do on the internet but I know that's the internet breeds negativity and the algorithm feeds off of it. So I take it all with a grain of salt, but I want people to know I'm working hard at this and I'm trying to make the best stuff that I can. And I know I'll miss, that's not the point here, but I want you to know that I'm always trying.
1: Beautifully said, Joe. And thank you for distinguishing, you know, between, you know, the two types of negative comments that you can experience to your point point. You know, it's like someone can say you're bad. It's like, okay, that's fine. Like, you know, comedy's subjective. But then the latter you know, type of negative comment is like, hey, like that isn't fair. You know, yeah, it feels so great. And uh, also, oh, earlier, sorry, I wasn't trying to say that uh, you think you're on a pedestal. Um, sometimes our audience, I feel like, can think we're on a pedestal. Got it. Um, so don't worry. Definitely, you know, don't think that <laughs> <bad> of you. <laughs> well, Joe, uh, thank you so much for coming on uh, the
0: Graders Canvas. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really great time. <laughs>